Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the RLS podcast. It is actually like a proper welcome back now. It's not just a case of a welcome back week to week because I don't think I've done a podcast in three weeks to a month. Um, I very much wanted to get to episode, I want to say 70, um, and wanted to have like a little break because I had a bit of planning to do. Um, I had a bit of kind of Oh, I knew this always happens. The start every time I start recording a podcast, honestly, you could not write it. I started the podcast thirty seconds ago, and now they start delivering kegs down the down the stair. So if you hear any smashing and crashing, that's what that is. Anyway, um, no, sorry, it's the recycling bin, so it's it's not quite as bad. It'll be gone in two minutes. Um, yeah, so I went away and tried to basically come together with a. A mental health month. Um, it ended up being much harder than I thought to get in contact with certain people. I actually got ignored by someone as well, which was a little bit. For, I say ignored, like people. I got put on red with a particular individual who I was very much looking forward to speaking to. Um, not very, not very nice of it. Um, anyway, I'm sure I've done it to a few people in the past by accident. So I will not take it personally, but I'm going to still try and get that person on. There's a couple other people. There's a particular client of mine that's going to be coming on and speaking about his experience with mental health. Um, but for the time being, I wanted to bring the podcast back because someone actually said to me as I was walking out the gym the other day, they, was like, they were like, Ryan, what's happened with the podcast? And, and they were like, I've been really enjoying it. So I was like, that was the bit of the arse I needed to, to just actually just go make another episode um so again this one was kind of like a little bit off the cuff and I wanted to this is like pre-season for footballers and around this time of the year like everyone's looking for the like the next best thing with recovery they're always looking for this new fancy recovery modality like okay what can I do to recover faster what can I do to recover better what can I do to get stronger like and people look towards various different things they look on YouTube they look on TikTok um, they look at the next thing that's being sold on Facebook, this next kind of massage therapy or cold water therapy, hot water therapy, fucking boiling hot water therapy. Nah, that's probably not a thing, but there's heaps of different things out there. Um, and I just want to basically go and talk about 10 different modalities. I'm going to rate them from, I'm actually, yeah, I was just double checking I'm recording because it's been a while and the last podcast I made, I didn't record the whole thing. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go from 1 to 10, rating different modalities, and I'm going to give them a score of 1 to 10. 10 being absolutely amazing, you need it in your life, and 1 being there's absolutely no point in you using this. Um, and then somewhere in between is like you can kind of use your own judgment yourself. And by the way, this is my opinion. Um, it's not just my opinion. Um, it's based on anecdote. It's based on like me having used the thing, and it is also based on um like peer-reviewed evidence meta-analysis um data which is important um so it's like a combination of anecdote and data um to back up if these things are actually useful or not um so <clears throat> first thing probably the most commonly bought item when it comes to recovery um foam rollers i swear these weren't even a thing five years ago. I can't even remember seeing a foam, foam roller past five years ago. Maybe like more than five years ago now, maybe seven or eight years. I just can't remember even seeing them. Um, massage guns, 
I think these were a thing, but I again can't necessarily remember them. I don't know if it's just because I've been more exposed to this sort of stuff lately. Um, I have both of these things. I have a foam roller. I have a massage gun. Um, and let me kind of explain what these do first and foremost before I actually rate it. So foam rolling is, is well, foam rolling slash massage. Let's talk about foam rolling first. It's essentially a tool for what you would call self-myofascial release or SMFR. You might see it abbreviated as that. Um, it's commonly used by like athletes, by mass, like I suppose by athletes, recreational gym trainers for like a, a soft tissue healing, um, like your muscles and your tendons. And a lot of the data out there suggests that it's going to increase flexibility, reduce a bit of soreness and kind of get rid of some knots. Now, it's, yeah, it can do these things. Um, it's almost like a low level massage. Like if you go to a sport, get a sports massage, it's almost just like a foam rolling times 20. Like you're going to get, you're going to be able to target these things so much better with a sports massage. However, not all of us can afford a sports massage every single week. Um, not all of us can afford to, um, yeah, essentially not all of us can afford like to go to a physio every single week. Um, I mean, foam rolling is just more convenient. That's one of the benefits of it. It's convenient and it's cheap. Foam rollers are tenor, sometimes even a fiver. Um, I think a lot of the data suggests that foam rolling, it does appear to have a positive effect on flexibility before exercise and it decreases um, sensations of soreness and fatigue following exercise. But what it cannot do is speed up recovery. Now, this is a, this is a misconception. When we think about speeding up recovery, we actually think about your ability to shorten the window between like performance to performance. So if you weren't using a foam roller and you felt as, and say, let's say use an example, like you've done legs on Thursday and you usually are sore until Saturday morning. By foam rolling, that does not mean that you're going to be waking up the next morning feeling absolutely perfect and ready to go again. It does not mean you're going to be able to squat more because you foam rolled. It doesn't speed up your time to performance. It doesn't mean that you're going to perform better on a Saturday because this foam roller has magically made everything all better. What it does do, though, is improves the sensations of soreness. Now, based on a placebo effect, um, like if you feel as though you're freer, if you feel as though you're not as sore, if you feel freer, then that in itself is a positive. Like that's the way that I want you to view foam rollers and massage guns and things like that. If the sensation of soreness is gone, then it's probably going to be easier for you to actually get into the workout. It's going to be easier for you to get started. It's going to be easier for you to not need such an extensive warm up um, to get going. Uh, so a couple of other misconceptions around these is that they like there's a whole thing going about like they eliminate cellulite like that's a load of nonsense like it doesn't eliminate cellulite i don't i don't think there's any kind of backed up data out there to suggest that it doesn't break up scar tissue as well um i think it is very unlikely that it'll do that um as i said before it doesn't speed up recovery as such um and it helps like it's a short-term benefit to this it's not a long-term fix it's a short-term benefit and to increase range of motion and decrease sensations of pain. And the main thing with this as well, it's like, especially with massage guns, I literally bought a massage gun the other day and it's 40 quid um, and it's, it works a treat. So 
I mean, like it's convenient. I got in the house, the foam roller. I can take it anywhere with me. I can take the football. It is, it is convenient, and you can have it on hand every single day. Do I think you should waste thirty minutes every day foam rolling? Absolutely not. I think it's a waste of time. I think your time could be spent um, elsewhere and um, doing different things. Um, so if I'm going to rate this out of ten, I'm going to rate. I'm going to rate it. I'm going to rate it a seven out of ten. It's not 10 out of 10. It's nowhere near that. Do I think it's helpful? Do I think it's convenient? Do I think it's a cheap way of releasing um, those sensations of tightness and pain short term? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's helpful. So would I have this in your cupboard at home? Yeah, I would. Cold water therapy. Now, you could go deep into this. You could continue. Well, that was a good pun, right? And not really wasn't uh you could honestly go on about this for hours there's so many arguments to it there's so many positives negatives more positives than negatives i would argue um there's a whole kind of new kind of branch of data coming out about this it's becoming more common you will see more and more people in their little loomy kind of cold water baths i'm actually frustrated i can't get one in my flat well i could get one but i'm sure i would soak the floor um, and i'm sure it wouldn't fit the aesthetic of the bathroom um, but yeah, do I think this is good? I think it's I think it's amazing for like loads of different reasons. Um, now some of the data out there, which I'll continuously try to back up during this, um, because if there's no evidence, then it's kind of just it's kind of just hearsay. It's kind of just like, oh well, it worked for me, so it'll work for you, which is not entirely true. Um, so to get the benefits of cold water immersion, so I'm not just talking about like a cold shower. A cold shower is like is helpful for certain things. So a cold shower is helpful, helpful, helpful for bringing adrenaline up, bringing kind of just waking you up in the morning. Are you going to get the same kind of like muscular um, effects as cold water immersion? So immersion is obviously in a bath or in the sea or something like that. You're not going to get the same benefits. Um, as a shower because a shower is obviously like you're not fully submerged to gain the maximal benefits of cold water immersion you're going to need to do at least 11 minutes per week now that's not 11 minutes monday 11 minutes tuesday 11 minutes wednesday 11 minutes thursday that's 11 minutes over a full week that's what the data suggests that's what mr huberman says and um, so if he says it then it must be true um it is seen to this is if you do eleven minutes per week. It's seen to increase um, brown fat thermogenesis. So essentially, like there's there's an argument to suggest that this could actually help you, like drop body fat and be leaner, um, which is a massive kind of a massive thing. Is it gonna you're gonna see noticeable changes overnight with this in three weeks? Probably not. No, but there is there is a lot of data to suggest that's true. After cold water immersion, it seemed to be there seemed to be at least a 2.5 increase in dopamine for at least up to four hours. Um, and this is not just a spike. This is a steady um, 2.5 increase in dopamine over the next 2.5, um, uh, over the next four hours of the day. So fucking that's a good way to start your day, I would say. That's a one way to start your day and feel kind of like you're on a bit of a buzz. Um, it is going to allow you to be more comfy in cold weather. It is going to allow your body to more efficiently thermoregulate itself, which pretty much just means when you're too hot, it'll help you be cold. When you're too cold, it'll help you be hot. And um, there's been a lot of kind of 
data that suggests it's going to improve your immune function. So your ability to not get ill and get colds, things like that. And one of the, obviously like the massive factors, that's not a physical factor is the mental side of things. Now that's like allowing you to control your body in fight or flight state. So like when you jump into a cold tub of water, when you jump into the sea, your body's instantly going to want to go, let's get the fuck out of here. So your ability to actually breathe and allow yourself to calm down and control your breathing. Like the only thing you can think about when you're in cold water, like I've done it plenty of times now is that I need to breathe. I need to survive. Like your body goes into that fight or flight state. So being able to bring it down from there is going to be massively helpful for other situations in life where like you may feel as though you're about to go into fight or flight mode. How can I bring myself down? How can I relax? How can I breathe? How many occasions during the day do you find yourself in those situations? I could punch you in the face right now, but I'm not going to because I've been duking in some fucking cold water this morning and I was, I know what that felt like. So that's a really helpful thing. Um, Another physical kind of aspect is the fact that it's going to lower inflammation, which is good because um, like if we've created, say for example, we've played a game of football, hence why footballers have been doing ice baths and things like that for years because your joints, your tendons and your ankles and your knees and your hips become very inflamed after a game of football or after training or something like that. So if you want to bring inflammation down after a physical kind of uh, bout of sport, whatever it may be, then getting in a nice bath is going to be very much helpful. However, there is a lot of evidence out there to suggest that it can stunt the adaptation of uh, muscle hypertrophy, basically like building muscle. So if you're someone that's a bodybuilder, if you're someone that's training really, really hard and trying to just like get bigger, ice baths may not be a great idea. However, Mr. Olympia literally was quoted on a, a podcast the other day, like Chris Bumstead saying that he uses ice, ice baths every single day. So I think, it, well, he's kind of different. He's a bit of an outlier. So yeah, okay, it works for him. But his argument was that the benefit on his joints and tendons from doing ice baths actually outweighed the negating effect of like, because of the, again, to understand this is that when you break down muscle and when you say, for example, you get injured, you, you kind of tear ligaments in your ankle, it inflames. This is the first response to recovery. Um, inflammation is the first response to recovery. So this happens on a micro level. If you've just trained calves and you've trained them really hard and they're really, really hard, they're going to be a little bit inflamed. That's the first thing. So if you ice them instantly, what you're going to find is it's going to slow down the recovery process. It's going to mean that those muscles in your calves don't recover as quickly and they don't, it basically stunts the growth of them. Um, but yeah, however, take that with a pinch of salt. It's kind of like a you weigh it up on both sides. Would I rather feel my joints and tendons and that better? because of a reduced inflammation or would I rather stunt my muscle growth just that little tiny bit? Um, Sebum's uh, argument was that it allows him to train harder because his muscles and joints aren't so sore. Um, also, it's important to note that I would not be taking cold plunges and cold baths at night because what happens is if you get your body really, really cold, the instant reaction of your body is to heat up. So the temperature of your body is actually going to go up by a couple of degrees off the back of having a cold shower or a cold bath when we're trying to get it sleep when we're trying to get to sleep at night we want our core body temperature to actually drop so if we heat it up so you get really cold your body tries to get really hot you get really hot your body tries to get really cold so if you're going to do 
cold showers, do them in the morning. Do not do them first last thing at night because you will struggle to get the proper sleep because um, you'll be too hot. Um, you may not feel it, but your body is instantly trying to go back up the way. So what am I going to rate that? I'm going to rate that a solid 8.5 out of 10. I think it's something that everybody should try. If you've got a garden, just go and buy one of these little loomy things. See if you can get into the habit of doing this every single morning, just dipping yourself in cold water. The mindset that you will build up and the general way that you will feel throughout the day, I guarantee you'll feel fucking amazing. Um, so number three is sauna and steam room. So again, I think this is one that's slightly overstated in terms of like its recovery purposes. Um, a lot of sauna facilities, like I've been in them and I've read the, the signs on them and it says things like sauna offer health benefits that include detoxification, increased metabolism, weight loss, increased blood circulation, pain reduction, anti-aging, skin rejuvenation, improved cardiovascular function, improved immune function, improved sleep, stress management, relaxation. Um, a lot of that shit is not really supported by the evidence. By the evidence. It's incomplete. Um, and I think there are some of those things that could be true. However, again, the evidence suggests that for you to get, so let's filter through these things. So increased metabolism, no. Detoxification, no. Um, weight loss, no. Blood circulation, there's an argument. Pain reduction, there's an argument. Anti-aging, um, I mean, you could frame it in a slightly different way. Skin rejuvenation, again, there's an argument. Improved cardiovascular function, yes. Improved immune function, yes, possibly. Improved sleep, mm, research is mm, kind of, a little bit a little bit kind of short stress management relaxation yeah i would say so um however the the problem is that to get some, most of these benefits you have to do you have to go 57 minutes plus per week um that's essentially the argument so look it's an amazing thing like i see i go to the sauna like maybe once a week and i see old guys in there like they're in there four or five times a week is this benefiting their health absolutely yes 100 percent um, I think some of the, let me see some of the statistics. Um, you need high high enough temperatures um, to actually, again, get these benefits. Like you should be feeling, there's this feeling in it, you can only be described as when you fucking want to get out. It's a release of dianorphin, um, which essentially a tri it triggers heat shock proteins, which in turn will repair broken proteins within your body. Now, this feeling of wanting to get out is essentially when you almost just stay in that little bit longer in the sauna to get these benefits. Um, with people that stay in the sauna over 57 minutes per week, they've seen that there was a reduce in heart attack by 51% and a, reduce, a reduction in the risk of stroke by 62%. That's huge. That's actually huge. Now, could you get these same benefits from cardiovascular work um, in the gym, um, from training in the gym, lifting weights? There's probably a lot of argument to say that you could. However, if you're someone that's like kind of quite like, I say it's your old man, it's your granddad or something like that, and he's like, I hadn't, didn't want to go to the gym. Like, a, convince them to go to the sauna. Like, it's relaxing. You just get to lie down. But there's actually a cardiovascular benefit to going to the sauna. Um, and for me as well, like something that's not mentioned too much, is the actual headspace that you can gain from just being in the sauna. Like the thing I love about the sauna is I'm in my, on my phone constantly for my work. Like I fucking attached to my hand. My hand actually, sometimes my thumb's sore at the end of the day because I've been on it so long on WhatsApp. I go to the sauna and I cannot take my phone in there. 
if I could, I fucking probably would because I'm, I'm terrible for that just now. But see, going to the swimming, going to the sauna, I have to go in. I cannot take my phone. It's just me. And sometimes I always get stuck with fucking with one person at least that like I'm lying down. I want to relax and someone wants to have a conversation with me. Like, it's, you know, I have some fucking really interesting conversations in the sauna. You'd be surprised. Like, you just get chatting to someone and it's a weird place to have a conversation because it's almost like there's a barrier that's down from you being in your scants um, in the sauna, sweating your tits off. Like, there's a barrier that comes down and people have weird conversations. Like, I've had so many weird conversations. Not weird in the sense of weird, weird, but like, I would never say this to a stranger. Like it gets quite personal sometimes um, without, obviously I'll reinstate that it's not a weird conversation in that way. Um, and the, another misconception with the sauna is that you, you should use it to lose weight. Okay. You go into the sauna, you stay in there for half an hour, you'll lose, you'll lose scale weight because you've fucking sweated. Like it's water that's coming out of your body. But as soon as you go and drink more water, that comes straight back on. You do not, you, yeah, okay, you burn a slightly elevated level of calories while your body's that hot, but you will not lose weight. Like, it's not a good weight loss method. And just because you feel too... I've seen myself go in the sauna, weigh myself on the way in, weigh myself on the way out, and I've been three kilograms three kilograms down. That was an intense sauna session. Again, you drink two liters of water, it's back, it's back in again. You have your first meal, it's there again. It's not a method unless you're fucking Conor McGregor trying to make weight. However, that's again not recommended. Um, I've seen people like doing like setups and shit in the sauna. It's not recommended, and it's just a surefire way to faint. Um, so what am I rating the sauna? I'm rating the sauna um for recovery purposes, six point five out of ten. I think it's good for mental recovery. I think it's a really good place to go and spend a bit of time. Um, you know what? Let's pump that up to a seven, a seven point five actually. I think it's actually a really good method for recovery, but it's more so mental recovery rather than physical recovery. Um, so here's another one, one that's kind of like, again, a bit of a misconception, static stretching. Um, I'm going to kind of include mobility work alongside this because I think mobility work and static stretching can very much get kind of like plugged together. Um, and people think of oh, I'm static stretching, I'm doing mobility work. Now, mobility is slightly different. So when you perform static stretching, that's holding something still, um, using your body weight or using some sort of support or a prop of some sort, work, you're working on muscular flexibility. Oh, there goes my voice. Um, mobility, on the other hand, is, is kind of related to the joints and their ability to actively move through their full range of motion. So mobility, like your ability to be mobile, can be very much related to what you're doing in the gym. So if you're wanting to get deeper into a squat, you might do some mobility work. If you want to be able to lift your leg above your head to fucking do an overhead kick at football, you might want to do some mobility work. People think they should do static stretching to get mobile, when in reality, it very rarely helps. There are certain people in certain sports and certain walks of life that need to do static stretching. Like, Will it do you any harm doing a bit of static stretching at the end of your workout or something like that? Will you maybe feel, again, sensations of feeling less tight the next day? Yes. I see so many people stretching their calves, stretching their hamstrings, just really fucking trying their hardest to, like, stretch, 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 stretch. 
um, all the time. And again, this is just another one where I think people waste a little bit too much time. Um, they just kind of, they're doing like 15 minutes of static stretching before and after workouts. I think you could use your time so much better. Um, I think majority of the time people do static stretching, but they should really be doing more mobility stuff. They should really be looking to get to their end ranges, go through their full range of motion. Mobility movements tend to be a little bit more dynamic. There's a bit of movement within them. Um, I do. I would argue that there is a combination of dynamic stretching and static stretching. So dynamic stretching or movements that you do with control to prepare your muscles and ligaments for the exercises you'll be doing next. Um, again, it's just a couple of different ways to frame it. Um, static stretches are obviously the ones that you hold in place. Um, and the problem with static stretching is you tend to want to, so for example, you've got tight hamstrings or you've got tight glutes or you've got tight hips. Now, the first thing that you would think to then do, well, the first thing that I see people do, because like I'm around lots of footballers, is they static stretch. They lie on the ground, they reach their toes, they lie on their back, they squeeze their quads and this is kind of basically like what they dedicate all their time to before workouts and before games of football. When in reality, you would probably feel the need much less to static stretch if you actually were a little bit more mobile and a little bit more strong. Uh, So I'm going to come on to that. Um, But okay, so basically, do I think static stretching has a place? Yes, in very small amounts. I think it's a little bit of a waste of time for you to be doing it every single day. Um, your stretching routine, your static stretching routine would be much would be much more useful if it was changed to, say, a mobility routine with a small bit of body weight strength work in there. That would be a much better use of your time. Um, so what am I going to rate this? I'm going to rate this at 5 out of 10. Um, that's static stretching. Mobility is obviously like a slightly different thing, which I'm going to kind of combine with the next one, which is strength training. Now, I'm just going to say it right now. This is this is a ten out of ten. This is this is instantly a ten out of ten, and it's not because I've got some sort of like, um, it's not because I've got some sort of bias because I'm a personal trainer. It's just because this is evidently the best thing that you can possibly do to help you recover quicker. If you are doing zero strength training, then your stretching, your foam rolling, your massage gun, your physio, your cold water therapy. It's just like, it's like you're you're going for the 1% when you could be going for the 50%, 50, even 60%. You go for the fancy, shiny thing instead of going for the thing that just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of work. And I understand that. It's because like you want a quick fix, but strength training is not a quick fix. It takes time, but the benefits that you will gain from strength training will undoubtedly blow all of these other things out of the water. So many times I take untrained individuals untrained footballers especially um, there's a couple of examples of examples of them just now like i've got a couple of footballers in for the pre-season program who've done next to very little strength training um around their football training they've very rarely lifted a weight what i've got them to do is got them to lift weights for six to eight weeks over pre-season what's then happened is they went back to training they've started running and the things that they found is ryan i'm recovering quicker Ryan, and this is between training sessions, Ryan, I'm recovering quicker between sets within my training. So I'm running, I'm recovering within 20 seconds, then I'm ready to go again. I am feeling stronger, I'm jumping higher, I'm kicking the ball further, I'm harder in the tackle, I can sprint faster, I can change direction quicker. Um, My pain in my legs the day after is nowhere near the same. Um, 
And this is because you've gotten stronger. By doing strength training, you do not only get the muscle stronger, you get the tendon stronger, you get the bone stronger within your body, you get the ligament stronger, you get the muscle tissue stronger, you become more mobile, the end range of your movements are stronger, your actual muscle belly size is bigger as well. Like you're actually, if you're thinking about your quads, your quads actually get bigger. Now, all you need to think about is this. You need to think about the fact that like your leg will hit the ground thousands of times during a football training session. Your leg will hit the ground probably even more than that during 90 minutes of football. Think about the load that's going through the tendons, the bones, the ligament, the tissue, um, the actual muscle itself. Think about the load that's going through that. Just imagine, I'm just trying to think of something, like imagine the, the measurement of force going through those muscles. Now, if it's stronger, if you've done strength training with it, will that will those legs be able to cope with more load? Absolutely. Therefore, they're not going to be as tired the day after. Therefore, they're going to recover quicker. So getting stronger doesn't just mean getting strong muscles. It means getting strong tendons, strong bones, strong ligaments, which are all crucially important for running about a football park, running about a rugby park, um, running, fucking jumping, any sort of sport you can think of. Strength training is going to mean that you recover quicker. Um, it just And again, this is the kind of thing that I wrote down. In simple terms, if your mu muscle is strong, and it has better tissue tolerance, then it has a larger capacity to take load and recover quicker. Um, yeah, look, it, it just, like, when you hear it like that, it just makes sense. The only thing that confuses people is, like, especially when you're, like, a footballer or something, it's like, how do I start this without sacrificing my performance in my, in my chosen sport or in my activity? What you do is you build it up from very low, very small, not very much, very lightweight, and you build, 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 build very slowly. Um, so strength training, as I said, is a 10 out of 10. You have to be doing it if you want to recover better. Don't even consider these other things until you've done this, in my humble opinion. Um, so supplements. Um, I'm just going to kind of rattle through these. Now, supplements, again, is just another little kind of 1% or thing on the side um, that I don't think you should... It shouldn't be your first focus, but like after strength training and your nutrition, it's maybe something that you want to look at. Things like creatine and whey protein are going to be massively helpful. I will not go in and go into the minor details of creatine and protein because you you basically just you basically just need to hop on my page and and look look for the creatine post if you want to know a little bit more about this or just send me a message and ask me. I'm more than happy to help. Um, there are certain anti-inflammatory supplements that might be helpful for the same reasons as as I spoke about with um what's wrong with my voice right now? with ice baths um turmeric's one which is like a, a kind of natural anti-inflammatory um again if you're feeling like your joints are sore after games or you're feeling a little bit stiff um maybe taking some turmeric um it's going to be helpful um ibuprofen is, has the same kind of properties but it's a little bit more effective in terms of um in terms of how quickly it can benefit you but you don't want to become reliant on ibuprofen so that's why turmeric i think is a good substitute because it is just like a food source um, it's just something that a lot of people have on curries and things like that as well but i've got little tablets Um, just make sure you don't bite through them ever because i'll tell you what if you get turmeric out of a capsule on your tongue it is fucking rotten um beta alanine is another one um it's essentially like a described as like a lactate buffer so what, what what that means essentially is like lactate is like the is the burny feeling that builds up on your body when you're doing a particular sport now beta alanine 
is said to kind of decrease that buffer, so not increase that buffer, so you're going to get sorer less or later. Um, again, still a pretty new supplement. There's not a whole load of evidence about this. There's more coming out, and um, we'll probably know in five years' time if this is actually really, really legit or not. Um, another one that's kind of like a little bit of an obscure one is tart cherry juice. Um, again, not the tastiest thing in the world. Um, it's been shown to improve muscle function, reduce muscle damage, oxidative stress, inflammation, muscle soreness in athletes. And um, there's a fair bit of information about this. Again, is it like going to change your life overnight? No, but it's another little 1% thing. I can't say I've tried it much. Um, I've done it a few times and again, probably not done it long enough to actually tell. Um, another one that can help reduce kind of joint health, well, reduce inflammation and help joint health is like omega-3 and cod liver oil. Um, another one is perhaps uh, beetroot juice um, or beetroot powder that can kind of help you. I can generally just help with like cardiovascular function does that really help with recovery as such i suppose it maybe does but not not specifically um supplements i'm going to rate them seven out of ten again you could go down each single one of these actually you know what? i'll go each down every single one of these so creatine 10 out of 10 whey protein if needed and you can't get it from your food let's just give that a nine out of ten turmeric six out of ten beta alanine don't know enough about it yet six out of ten tart cherry juice again don't know enough about it five out of ten Cod liver oil, um, I'm going to give that like an 8 out of 10. I generally think that should probably be in most people's diets. Um, if you're not getting it from like oily fishes and things like that, then I would I would definitely be supplementing that. Number eight. Now, this again will go without any shock that it's a 10 out of 10 at sleep. Um, again, I'll, I'll state the same thing as I did with strength training. If you're not sleeping well, if you're only sleeping four to five hours a night, then like fucking fix that first. Don't even be thinking about like you should actually just like turn this podcast off and just go right. How do I improve my sleep? Um, and that's something I like. I do a lot of work with people with like how do you actually improve your sleep because it is the fundamental thing that motivates people to do everything else in their life. It's the fundamental thing that helps performance if my personally like i see if i sleep any less than six hours i'm a fucking asshole like i am just a sh i'm just a shit person that doesn't get anything done like i need my sleep i'm very precious about it um i am incredibly scared for when i have kids i just hope that they sleep um because i will yeah i, I reckon i'll be a shit person if i don't sleep very well i know i am sometimes i'm not a shit person but i'm just nowhere near like, I wouldn't be speaking the way that I'm speaking today if I'd had a bad sleep. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sleep shit. Um, I just don't know if I would be able to do it. Anyway, during sleep, um, a lot of us will know this now, but human growth hormone is secreted during sleep. So it goes to its, it basically spikes during sleep. It's, the, it's this recovery kind of hormone. Um, and how that basically benefits you as well. It goes and supplies nutrients around your body, um it helps your muscle recover it helps your brain recover um there's an increase in blood flow which brings along oxygen nutrients to help recover and repair muscles and regenerate cells um which again is, is massively important like if this is not happening on a nightly basis then things are going backwards like things are like we know that like sleep is the best anti-aging kind of thing that we can ever do if we've not slept well for 30 years, 
we're probably taking, I, I know this sounds a little bit morbid, but we're taking years off our life. We literally are taking years off our life. When we're young, look, we don't maybe need as much sleep and we kind of function off of less. Like I've seen me do three nights in Magaluf without any sleep and that was without Colombian marching powder. That was literally just me being able to go fucking absolute ham because I was like, I was 18 years old. Now I'd be like, absolutely fuck this. I'm going home. Like I'm going to book an, into a five-star hotel just for a nice bed. Um, nah, I'm not that fucking, up my, I'm not that up my own arse. Um, but yeah, like, there was a quote from, what's his name? Uh, Matthew Walker. And it basically said, those that sleep four to five hours a night um, have that, basically, what was the what was the quote again? I've forgotten it. Um, will have a brain of someone 10 years their senior. Um, and as we know, like, we have, again, morbid, we're slowly kind of dying. Like, that, that's essentially what life is. Like, you're slowly kind of, fading away in certain different ways but if you are sleeping four to five hours a night you're everything's just not going to be quite as good like in the most basic way to state that possibly um and if you have no sleep hygiene so if you've got no kind of sleep routine sleep hygiene what i, what I talk about when i talk about sleep hygiene is like do you have your phone on what's the light look like coming into your room is it too bright is it too hot um is it uncomfortable? Do you not have much space in your bed? Are your fucking sheets dirty? Um, is it clean? Is it is it an enjoyable place to be? That's sleep hygiene. Sort that out first and foremost. And then think about your routine. What does your routine actually look like? Do you go to bed at a different time every single night? Because if you do, you're just fucking everything, really. Like the whole process of human growth hormone secretion, um, it's started by a trigger during the night. So I think it's around about an hour into sleep your body likes this kind of like this routine and this uniformity and your body will expect this human growth hormone to come out at least an hour. I think it's around about an hour after you go to sleep. So if you're staying up another extra hour and a half, your body's like, oh fuck, that's not happening. We're not going to sleep. So it just gets a little bit messed up and you don't get the same levels going through your body. Um, so routine, wake up at the same time, go to sleep at the same time within around about half an hour of itself that's going to give you the best opportunity um, to recover the best. Um, and you cannot white monster yourself out of this one, mate. Like, it's you can't just have a white monster every single morning, caffeinate yourself out your tits, because once again, all you're doing is just messing up your sleep routine again. So sleep is the most important thing. If you if your sleep's to shit, please drop me a message. I'm not a sleep expert, but I've done a hell of a lot of research on it, and I know I know how to set up a sleep routine um, and I know how to improve it. Um, mine's was shocking, like literally, I'm going to say like a year ago, mine's was just like, mine's was poor and I was feeling tired a lot and I was feeling burnt out. Um, so if you can, let's have a look at this. Nutrition, again, just to briefly cap over nutrition, it goes without saying, like if you want to recover your muscles appropriately, you're going to have to have at least between, I'm going to go for the higher end, 1.7 to 2.4 grams per kilogram of body weight um, per day. The best way to spread this out would be between three to five servings. So do the calculation anywhere between, so 1.7, we're going to say is the lower end. 2.4 is the very high end per kilogram of body weight. So let's say two, let me just do the calculation for myself because I think that tends to help. Um, calculator, so 2.4 times... 85 
So that's like, so that's a very high end. So that's 204 grams of protein. Do I get that in a day just now? Probably not. So I'm going to say 2.0 times 85. So 170 is probably about right for me. So let's say two grams per kilogram of body weight. What I'll do then is I will divide that into, I'll divide that into four. So that's four servings of 42.5 grams of protein. That's going to be absolutely optimal for me to recover um, throughout the day. Um, what else do I want to do? I want to make sure that I've got a nice selection of carbohydrates. My carbohydrates are timed around my workout. So if I'm doing high intensity workouts, I'm going to make sure that I've got a reasonable amount of carbohydrates within my body because what I know and what the science says is that if you feel well with your carbohydrates before training sessions or before matches or before workouts, and there's a certain amount going in within two to four hours of your workout, um, you're going to recover better. Making sure you're getting a decent amount of healthy unsaturated fats, nuts, avocado, eggs, things like that. Um, making sure you're getting plenty of different colors on your plate, fruit and veg. Again, it goes without saying if you nail your nutrition, your energy is going to be higher. Your recovery is going to be better. Not necessarily nail your nutrition, but if your nutrition is good. And yeah, I think I forgot to rate the last two. Sleep, 10 out of 10. Nutrition, 10 out of 10. Again, you, you gain a kind of a little bit of a, a trend here that's the basic shit that's really going to help your recovery. And if you're not doing the basic shit, then it's pointless thinking about all the fancy shit. Um, so number 10 and the final one is walking or active recovery or zone two training or just generally jumping on a static bike. So I'm going to touch on each of these things. So as we know, walking is low impact, doesn't necessarily hurt. We can pretty much all do it. It increases blood flow. It feels good. It gets you outdoors. It's relaxing for the most part, unless you're walking a mad dog. Um, is that going to help speed up recovery? Absolutely. There's heaps of data out there to suggest going for a walk is one of the best things that you can do for recovery. Um, active recovery. Now, what does active recovery essentially mean? It's pretty much like doing some sort of low intensity working out to just increase blood flow, just to generally get a little bit of a pump going through your body, just to make you feel good, to speed up certain amounts of recovery. This could be like some mobility work. This could be going for a swim, something that's very, very low impact, like a static bike or like a swim or like a kind of bit of kind of yoga, a bit of stretching, something like that. That's probably going to do you no harm. However, there's an argument to be had that if you're needing, a, if you need a recovery day, make it a recovery day. Don't be doing heaps and heaps of shit on that day and call it active recovery when in theory you're just making yourself sore. and the final little touch on this one is zone two training so something i do to incorporate an adaptation within my active recovery is zone two training so zone two training is essentially referring to like you you go from zone one to five zone one is well we calculate the zones by our heart rate by our um our max heart rate and then we basically like kind of get the calculation from there. If you want to find out your zones, just go into zone calculator, heart rate zone calculator on Google, and you'll be able to find it out pretty easily there. Um, well, I say pretty easily. You'll give you a rough estimation. Um, so zone two training is essentially the second zone. So my zone two would be like anywhere between, say, for example, like 100 and 120 beats per minute. So it's not massively intense. Will I get a sweat on? Yeah, probably. Um, so in zone training, we'll basically stimulate type one muscle fibers. So we stimulate mitochondrial growth and function that will improve the ability to utilize fat. Now, 
again, I know this sounds like overly technical and it sounds quite like, well, what the fuck does that even mean? But basically what it means is if we get good at doing zone two training and we do it consistently, our body will essentially have this ability to utilize fat very well. Um, and it will become a bit of an, it will improve endurance. So I get all my guys that are doing running just now to do heaps and heaps of zone two training. So eight, I would say like 75% of their training is zone two training because this builds builds the base. Like it builds an endurance within them and it allows their body to become very good at utilizing fat. Now, when we're doing certain workouts, so if you've ever done a run and you've it's your first 5K and you've not done one in a while, what you'll find is like you gas out really quickly and your heart rate goes through the roof. And that's because you're not very good at utilizing your um you're not very good at utilizing no so your body's not adapted to to type one muscle fibers and it's not very good at utilizing fat so what it does is it utilizes its other fuel source carbohydrate or glycogen so that's very much the the intense kind of fast um what we're trying to say here the fast intense stores within our muscle um, so if we're doing, if we're sprinting, we use glycogen, but our body, when we start running, thinks that we're, thinks that we're using glycogen and uses that rather than uses fat because we're not very good at using fat right now because we've not done a lot of zone two training. Now that's, I kind of murdered that explanation as you were probably able to tell there. It's quite confusing. Um, but if we get better at zone two training, what we'll find is it won't fatigue us too much, especially if we do it on a static bike, it's just nice and slow and it's easy if we get good at doing this, what we'll find is, is that we're able to recover quicker and faster during exercise. We're able to recover quicker and faster between exercise and between sessions. Um, and our body just becomes much more efficient. Um, so I would probably recommend that you give this a little bit of a read um, on Google or something like that. Literally just type in zone two training explanation or something like that. Um, but it is a very good way to incorporate some light bike work um, or some light rowing machine, some light swimming um, and to help you have a larger capacity to recover without really creating much fatigue. Like you can do this training and very much feel nothing the next day or feel nothing afterwards because it's quite easy and it's low intensity. What am I rating this? Walking, 10 out of 10. Active recovery, I'll give that a 6 out of 10 because I think sometimes you kind of just need to take a rest. Zone 2 training, um, again, I'll give that an eight out of 10 and static bike. Well, static bike is essentially part of that. So that wasn't a separate one. So here's my zero out of 10 list. Alcohol, unfortunately, not eating after, after exercise, not eating anything. That's a zero out of 10, not drinking water. That's a zero out of 10 bath salts. Unfortunately, guys, I don't really think they do much in terms of they don't speed up your recovery. A hot bath will do you absolutely no harm. But the matter of the fact is, putting bath salts in there like people think there's some sort of like magical healing they have some magical healing properties they don't but they're it's not like they're a bad thing like i like having bath salts in my bath again placebo effect sometimes helps um phones and screens are not going to help recovery they're just going to mentally burn you out um a couple of different things just like a couple of obscure things that i've tried before like yoga was kind of helpful. I found it really hard to kind of relax into this sort of things. Um, I tried float therapy as well. I'm actually going to give like a little shout out to a place up in Aberdeen, um, Urban Wellness Float. So if you want to 
to take half an hour. I think it's actually an hour. If you want to take an hour to actually just fucking zone out and just, you literally lie in this like bathtub type thing and it's in pitch black and you literally just float. It's like this really salty water and you literally just lie on your back floating the pitch black. It's like, it was a weird experience. I found it quite hard to get into, but I, I was wanting to go back again. So that is something that I would actually recommend trying at some point um, if you were keen. So yeah, I think I also wanted to state just at the end, and I know I said this halfway through the podcast, but a psychological rest, like literally just doing something that you enjoy, something that you like to do to recharge your batteries, it could be fucking anything, can sometimes be your biggest asset to look after yourself. Like just doing something you enjoy can be the best psychological rest that you can, the best psychological recovery method that you can have. Could be going to spend time with your family, could be walking the dog, could be fucking absolutely being gouged out on the sofa watching the football on a Sunday. If you enjoy it and if you're able to zone out and if you're able to kind of just go, you know what, switched off from everything else going on in my life and I'm switched on to this game of football, that can be one of the best things that you can do for recovery. Sometimes the problem with recovery is we train, we train, we train, we train, we're constantly switched on. And then you get into this kind of like professional athlete's mindset where it's like, right, okay, now what do I do for recovery? And we almost begin to treat our recovery as like training as well. So we're like, right, massage gun, foam roller, right, sauna, swim. Like we've got to do all this shit. Like this is, by the way, me criticizing myself right now because I do this big time. Sometimes we need to actually chill the fuck out and actually realize that the best thing we can do for recovery is actually having a day off and actually going like, okay, I'm not even going to think about training today. That in itself can be massive. Um, so yeah, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that allowed you to cut through some of the bullshit, maybe helped bring a few things to light um, and helped you kind of come up with your own ideas about what the best things that you need to do for recovery are right now. Um, so yeah, if you have listened to the podcast this far, please send me a message. Let me know what you thought. Let me know if there's anything that you took away. I massively appreciate it. I just like to know who's listening. If you're on Facebook, Instagram, fucking WhatsApp me, whatever it is, just give me a message. I always like to hear from people about how they're getting on and like what they're doing with their lives. Um, and if you can, share it wherever you are. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on threads now, if you're on LinkedIn, like any shares of the podcast would be massively helpful because we're back and we're back for good with the podcast now um, for another 10 episodes. So yeah, hop along for the ride.